0: Thank you, Susanna, for that reading. And uh, thank you to the family for the, uh, the reading from Second Kings. I think I'm right in saying that uh, Helen's doctoral thesis will be on humour in the books of Kings. And now you know. <laughs> we pray together? Gracious God, Take the words that I speak and breathe your Holy Spirit through them, that it may be Jesus Christ who is your living word, who speaks into the hearts of us all. Amen. The the second letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, chapter 4 and verse 7, says this, we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. To those who aren't a part of our Christian family, some of the language we use on occasions like this must seem quite extraordinary. We are saying that the one who made everything and holds it in being, intervenes in our lives to call some of us to do things. Bluntly, I think it must be time for a reality check. I'm sorry, I bow to very few people in my admiration and respect for Helen, or the other ministers and other Christians present here. But looking at you, I think that God, frankly, needs to get some better public relations advice. I mean, think about it. If it was your job to advise God on what kind of agents he should have to tell others of his message in the world, who would you pick? Look around. I mean, we're all lovely, of course, in our way. But bluntly, I think we probably, you know, we may think that just occasionally you'd pick on somebody else. Um, If I was God, and thank goodness for everybody that I'm not, (laughs) you might think you'd pick people who are particularly attractive. You know, I have a word for you. Brangelina. Now they would be, that's the way to go. Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, they would be the people to go for to make a real impression. Or, you might go for people who are particularly athletic. You'd get A Jamaican sprinter. You'd get one of the footballers from Euro 2012, probably that German striker who looks pretty hot. Um, Or you'd get some real intellectuals. I mean, you'd get, I don't know, Stephen Hawking or Richard Dawkins. Or you'd get Terry Eagleton. You'd get somebody who was going to be really, really impressive or you'd get a great artist, or a brilliant actor. What you wouldn't do, look around, go for the likes of us. I mean, really, get some advice. This is not a new problem. This has been going on for centuries. We tend to think of the Apostle Paul as some kind of missionary superhero. But that's not always how his churches saw him at all. The Corinthians to whom he wrote this letter gave him quite a miserable time because he wasn't a combination of John Wimber and the Fantastic Four. Had he been, they might have thought that he lived up to their expectations. But as it was... They regarded him as simply not up to the mark. They wanted somebody who was much more impressive and powerful. And I suspect they were right. Things would have gone a lot smoother had they got their way. But no, God persisted with the likes of Paul. And Paul says... There's a reason for this. Now, I can't believe it. You see, I think, I know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but in all honesty, if you've got something worth having, you should, you should look after it properly. So that if you've, if you've got some treasure, you put it in a golden casket. If you've got something that's really nice to drink, you don't drink it out of a plastic cup, you put it in crystal. If you've got some food that you really want to enjoy, you don't get a paper plate. You get porcelain. Because the container matters. It improves, it enhances, it points to the value of what's within. Well Paul says no. He says when it comes to this treasure... That's not the way it works. Now, what's the treasure he's talking about? He's talking about the message that he calls the gospel. This story, which we believe to be true, which we have found to be so true that it's not just something we believe in here, but which changes the very heart of our being. He says, this gospel that God loves the world and each individual in it so much that he's given himself completely to it. This message which says that God's love is so passionate, so overwhelming, so over the top, so lost all sense of perspective that he's even given himself in death that we might live. This message that transforms us and compels us to join in with God's own work in the world as he summons all creation to himself. This gospel, Paul says, is so precious that you put it in the ordinary and the everyday because it's the message that's important, not the container. And the last thing you want is to get the container to detract from the treasure that it contains. Which brings me to the story of Naaman, that we've just heard spelled out for us. Now, had I been in God's PR team, Naaman is just the kind of character that you would want to be your representative, because he's the leader of the king's army, and what a successful army it is. And when he goes down to meet, he's sent down to see the king, The king of Israel is terrified. He arrives with chariots. He arrives with horses. He arrives with piles of silver and gold. Now that's impressive. This is somebody you'd want on side. This is somebody that you'd respect. And how does he get treated? When he expects the prophet to march out, wave a hand over him and say, you're cured now, he gets told, to go to some crummy little river and wash himself in it, not once, but seven times. Now, he might have expected a task. He'd want, what he'd want is to be told to rescue a princess. You know, that's the kind of job that you give Naaman to prove himself. One are the labours of Hercules? But no, he's told to go and wash in a river. Why? does that mean? Because he's got to humble himself. He's got to confront his own weakness. He's got to make himself vulnerable. He's got to appear to be humiliated and only at that point can God reach out to him. And only at that point, is this on? Will God reach out to him as he that we are the clay jars in which the treasure of the gospel is placed? It's like taking your most precious family heirloom and keeping it in one of those tatty Sainsbury's carrier bags. It's like them in the yogurt carton or getting your precious family photos and keeping them in an old crisp packet. Clay pots, they're the everyday thing of the ancient world. Throw away fragile ten a penny. They're like those tea lights you buy from IKEA at a hundred for one pound fifty or whatever they are now. No value, thrown away easily You keep pretty much anything in one of those clay pots. Water, wine, oil, wicks, anything. You don't put your treasure in there. It's like keeping your jewellery in an old chocolate wrapper. And yet God commits this astonishing gospel to somebody like the Apostle Paul and then to people like us. If we're unimpressive, then any impression made must be God's. If we're fragile, any strength that there is, is clearly God's. If we are powerless, and let's face it, we so obviously are, then the extraordinary power which has taken this gospel and seen it spread all over the world, must come from God. And Helen, you're a remarkable person in all sorts of ways. This is not personal. But like us all, you have your weaknesses and your frailties. This calling is not about you. It's about Christ. It's not that ministers have feet of clay. It's that we're all clay, like all the rest of us. We're all fragile and everyday. What makes this Extraordinary is that God is at work even in us. Where do you look for this revelation of weakness, which is also the revelation of profound love? One place you might look is in the church and just occasionally you find it among us because in our churches, for all their faults and for all our being out of date and behind the times and goodness knows what else, arguing over trifles in public, in our churches you will find people of all ages getting on with one another, loving one another. In the kaleidoscope of post-modernity which seems to be throwing people apart from one another, In the churches you will find us together. But we're not a great example. An even better example of where the treasure of God is hidden is in, astonishingly, a judicial execution 2,000 years ago in Judea. When Jesus of Nazareth was nailed to a lump of wood and left there to asphyxiate. But even in that moment, prayed for forgiveness for those who did this, prayed that uh, offered uh, the opportunity for, for people to become family while they were stood there. In that miserable, ugly death, we see the astonishing love of God Poured out because there we see our sins carried. There we see an opportunity for all of us to be embraced by God's overwhelming love, for our lives to be filled with a sense of purpose and life that takes hold of our very beings so that we join in. With the things that God is doing in His world, summoning everything to be a part of His overwhelming love. In that weakness, in that abject death, we see the greatest treasure of all. And so, our own calls to whatever vocation that we have, whatever paths of service we have, and certainly in the case, of those who are ordained for Christian ministry, our the thing which tells us who we're supposed to be, the thing which shapes us, is the cross of Christ. For there we see the love of God most clearly revealed. Knowing that the verdict which sentenced him was overturned so that he was raised to life. Helen, may your ministry always be cross-shaped. May it be the path of service. When you visit people, as you will as a minister, go to them as the one who bears the presence of Christ to them. When, When you speak words in public or in private, may they be the words of Christ to people. When you pray for people, as you will, pray always in the name of Jesus Christ the kinds of prayers that are cross-shaped. And it's my prayer for all of us that whatever it is God has called us to, or even if God has yet to call us, that we will see the truth that the heart of the way the universe is shaped is the gospel which points to the crucified Christ now risen. Because there, we see the richest treasure of all, that the God who made all this, is indeed still intervening in our lives today, because of what happened at Calvary, where his infinite love was poured out for the likes of us. And as part of that, he calls people to particular tasks within the life of his people and the life of the world. God bless you, Helen.